0: As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
1: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate?
2: Lindsay Piegs is joining us now from Stiefel here to uh, distill this and move forward as well. Let me ask you the same question. Good morning. Good morning. I asked uh, Michael McKee, first look at GDP, what will the second and third look look like? When do we get them? Like a month out? Do we get a second look?
3: Exactly. We'll get them uh, periodically throughout now going forward for the next several weeks. But I think to your point, this is going to set the tone. So the first look is very important. Yes, we do expect some revisions. There always are. But this, sets the tone for what the expectation of the U.S. economy was at the start of the year. And it tells us two things. One, we're losing momentum from what we saw, <coughs> excuse me, at the end of last year. But two, the economy is still proving resilient, despite the fact that the Fed is engaged in a very aggressive upward pathway to tame inflation. And the consumer particularly, forget about all the other details. The consumer is the backbone to the U.S. economy, and the consumer is proving surprisingly resilient.
4: Well, and we've seen this consistently throughout a lot of the earnings. I mean, I I feel like a broken record, the Procter & Gamble price increases of 10%. Consumers have absorbed it. And you can see on the margins, companies actually saying, we'd
3: rather raise prices even if we lose volume. How long can that last? Well, it can last for another month, two months, maybe longer. Because when we look at the household balance sheet, so we're looking at debt relative to disposable personal income, we're talking about a decade low. So I'm not necessarily advocating for consumers to take on new amounts of credit card debt, but if that's where they need to go, there's quite a bit of additional room to grow that household balance sheet before that becomes a red flag that the consumer needs to cut back. And the real
4: break in the cycle is when jobless rates start to go up, and that's the reason why people have been waiting for that to happen as sort of a signal, and we aren't really seeing it, at least not in the initial jobless claims yet. What Michael McKee was talking about with business spending coming down. That was the reason for the weakness that came
3: into GDP. How long will that take before that translates into job cuts? Well, what's interesting is, yes, we saw business investment come down, but we also saw a drawdown in inventories. So if the consumer continues to prove resilient going into the second quarter, we're going to have to see a build back up of inventory growth, which will significantly then contribute to Q2 GDP. So we will have to keep an eye on that. But I think broadly speaking, businesses are anticipating a slowdown in the economy. They're anticipating a recession to come in the second half of the year, and they responded in kind across the first three months of the year.
5: Let me uh, just throw this in here very quickly on inventories. I got the dollar figures here. Uh, Inventories grew in the fourth quarter by $136.5 billion. They shrank by $1.6 billion in the first quarter, which is extraordinarily unusual. Uh, So businesses basically stopped producing stuff and started selling out of their
4: warehouses. Lindsay, can you weigh in on this? Basically, is this company's more bearish than the consumer
3: is letting on? That they were prepared for an environment that was not as bleak nearly as consumers have proved? Well, I think it's businesses and economists alike. We were anticipating the consumer to have a significant pullback at the start of the year, but we found that consumers were increasingly willing to turn to credit cards, draw down the last of that pandemic savings, and we also saw an unexpected sputtering of state and local stimulus right. filter into the economy that provide that uh, that additional support to the consumer.
2: Nominal GDP, I'm going to go back a year here, long ago and far away, 8.5 percent, big inflation, big real GDP, 7.7 percent, 6.6 percent, and now I observe 5.1 percent. Do you ascribe to a diminished real GDP, a diminished inflation where nominal GDP gets back to, I'm going to say, a 4% normal?
3: I I would suspect that the longer term run rate of real GDP is sub 2%. I would suspect that it's around, uh, correct, around 1.8% longer term. Once we smooth out some of these cyclical movements. The Fed gets inflation under control. The U.S. economy falls into a downturn or outright recession, and we see recovery. The long-term trajectory of the U.S. economy, I do see as a real rate but of under 2%. The
2: business people listening here, the animal spirit of the com- country, overlay that, say, 2% real GDP or less on your inflation guest. Mm-hmm. Is this nominal GDP decline from the pandemic in place
3: where we get a 4% top-line GDP? Absolutely percent real plus two percent inflation, there's our two, there's our four percent nominal GDP. And I do think that that's a realistic expectation without a significant growth in productivity. We're going to struggle to see a real rate of activity above two percent for quite some time. So this is really
4: the conundrum that markets have been struggling with. And this is sort of, you know, you want it to be good, but not too good because of the Fed comes into play. And right now we're pricing in a 4.2 percent Fed funds rate come January of next year. that consistent with what's required
3: to bring down inflation, given the economy you just portrayed. No, it's certainly not. That we know from, histori- from history, historical cycles, that the Fed is going to need to raise rates above that peak level of inflation, and so as we've long advocated, the Fed is likely to need total policy firming to get up near six percent. Now, I'll concede that if Even we still. see tighter credit conditions, do some <clears throat> of the Fed's work and pull down inflation faster, then maybe the Fed right. doesn't need to raise rates quite as high if that total policy firming reflects additional rate hikes as well as an right. organic change to conditions. But right now, we're not seeing that organic change. And with inflation where it is and a solid level of activity, both in the consumer and the broader economy, the Fed needs to continue to move forward, raising rates to tame inflation. we am going to get a summary here from Michael McKee. You're on what, page 14 of the report?
5: <laughs> well, it looks like this was, uh, in large measure, inventories and a cutback in business spending, as Lindsay was talking about. What did
2: exports, the, imports uh, do? Exports
5: and imports were little changed. So uh, we didn't get a major contribution either way. A little, little bit of an addition to GDP, but not much.
2: Explain to our audience, uh, help, Lindsay, help here. What
5: is inventory?
3: Well, when you produce goods, what they're sitting, not being purchased yet. So just as you would expect, it's the inventory of production that consumers haven't yet absorbed.
5: Yeah, it's the value of the goods that have been produced that then haven't that been That are sitting sold on in warehouses. Yet. Yeah, they, well, just the easiest way to think about it is all the cars that are parked outside the automobile manufacturers waiting to be shipped off to dealers.
4: And Tom, just to sort of confirm the theme of the morning, which is that businesses have been too pessimistic based <clears throat> on where consumers really are. Caterpillar's CEO comes out with this. 2023 will be better than we previously anticipated. Time and again, Tom, they didn't have as much inventory <clears throat> as they needed to meet the demands they're drawing down from it, raising questions about how much more they're going to have to
1: produce that, later. To that's going to be the,
5: the big issue that'll be debated around the Fed uh, conference table. They don't have the big mahogany table anymore, but uh, they're going to be talking about this because if consumer spending is remaining strong and there's not enough goods, A, that contributes to inflation, and B, uh, that could logger a big increase you know. in production in the next couple of quarters. It all going to depend on what businesses think is going to happen.
2: I, I like this tag team, Lindsay Piazza and Michael McKee. This is really good. Let's talk to a security analyst about this, John, and this big move Michael Nathanson joins us. It's not different than David Kirkpatrick, maybe not the author of the Facebook effect, but he's looked at the new Zuckerberg effect as well. You nailed it in your note, Michael, and what I see here in terms of the maturity of this generation is Mr. Zuckerberg wants to be a serious technology company. Is this a systemic
6: Silicon Valley shift? I think it is. Um- Tom, it's interesting that I asked him last year if his moat was his social graph that he had built. He's like, no, our moat is that we are a serious technology company that moves fast and changes things, right? And you know, John and I, over the years, talked about meta and the stock was in the dumps. And they had to pivot away from a couple of things that were hurting them. And very quick order they did, it's because they are a technology company. And then Mark became much more aggressive and ruthless on cost control. And that was a big aha because people thought he was just not going to cut costs. And he's taken it about 11 to 12 billion dollars out of cost base in six months. And that's extraordinary, right? So the combination of accelerating revenue and then cost cuts. The story, I mean, stock's going to keep going. I think it's $300 stock.
2: Michael, I want to look at this on a broader basis. Moffat Nathanson is iconic on this. We had your colleague in crime, Rich Greenfield, on the other day. You guys have followed these children from out of their dorms to the modern era. Is right now when these guys
6: grow up, as
2: it appears, Zuckerberg has grown up?
6: Oh, without a doubt. I I think having a founder... Who uh, his entire life work is tied up in this? It you, that that's the payoff you're getting, right? He was not going to let this company die, and he took aggressive steps. And that's you're right, Tom. Like this is the evolution of yeah. of his leadership. It's a great point. We
2: forget, Lisa. He's 38 years old. We forget that, You know, we're, we're talking like he's six, 50 or 60. He's 38 years old, he's a kid. Right.
4: We've known this, right. and now he's proving himself in the actual bread and butter earnings. Michael, you increased your price target to $295 from $275. Where is that extra profit going to come from based on the earnings we just saw?
6: Lisa, it was a revenue story, right? So if you look at their guide for the next quarter on revenue growth, it was between 2% and 10% on the upside. We're at five, so we're smack in the middle of that. So we took our revenue numbers up to 8% next quarter. And if you look at the rest of the year, you have probably double-digit revenue growth by the end of the year. So that's what drove our, I mean, we were always above the street and here's our price target. But now we're close to $300 because the revenue story is now starting to kick in.
4: Is there a dirty secret that's been exposed by the earnings of some of these tech giants that have been cutting staff? That they didn't need as big of a footprint. They don't need as many bodies, and so their expenses are that
6: much lower. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a dirty secret. Um, you know, back when I, you know, we cover media. If there was a great ad cycle at CBS, they didn't hire more people. But if you look at what happened in twenty and twenty-one twenty-two. As revenues were ramping, they hired more people, and they wasn't, there was not a benefit to that, right? The ad revenue came through, so now these companies are going back to pre-pandemic staffing levels, and the revenue base is coming back. So, I mean, we sound crazy, but we cannot be more bullish on Meta and, and Alphabet as well, just because of what you said. And they all learned a lesson, which is they overstaffed, and they can cut, cut, cut without really hitting the top line.
4: Michael, given the fact that you did increase your earnings, how much does that include the potential banning or sale of TikTok and the read-through uh, implications for Meta, for Snap?
6: No banning of TikTok in our in our thought process. You know, TikTok's about $10 billion U.S. revenue base. It would, it would flow to Meta, flow a little bit to Snap. It's not our numbers um that'd be a, that'd be a home run obviously but you know we've not contemplated that because it just seems so far removed but you know, what they've done though you know with reels is that they quickly adopted the best part of TikTok right so they saw a weakness in their business model short form video and they quickly engineered a solution and now they're starting to monetize that solution so you know TikTok exists today I believe they're taking share from TikTok, given what they've just accomplished.
7: This is a just an amazing story. This was an $88 yes. name in early November. Yes. 88 yes. And you've got Michael Nathanson talking about 300 a $300 Jonathan, stock. I, Go on, Mike. But,
6: but, but, but Jonathan, we stuck by this thing. And some people did. because I know the you did. was The revenues were self-destroyed. They had basically, were they were hit by Apple. Remember, Apple changed their... IDFA signifiers on on their mobile system, and then these guys had introduced reels, which was not monetizing, right? But what killed the stock was this belief that Zuckerberg was an empire builder and wouldn't cut costs. Yep. Go back to that October conference call, some folks jumped off of it, because like, look, this guy doesn't understand what's happening, but that's, a, to me, it was all about self, self-created revenue crisis that they've now engineered themselves past, right? that's that was so what was so interesting is that this was not cyclical it was in a way because 2021 was so good they had a hard time lapping 2021 and then idfa hit from apple and then reels occurred so it was like just all these waves were hitting the stock so michael i I have gotta squeeze this in
7: because i've only got about 45 seconds left i apologize there will be some people who don't hold this name who look at this as some kind of cyclical signal you just said that maybe last year wasn't cyclical to some extent is the success this morning cyclical is that a broader signal about the cycle
6: no because alphabet's a bigger company that's in search and youtube and their results were, were okay but they're not like this this is this is a separate cycle tied to meta and what they were trying to do
7: last year Michael, just perfect. And great call, buddy, for sticking by this name at a difficult time. Michael Nathanson of SVB.
0: Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
1: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie?
2: John, I want you to bring in Andrew Sliman. This guy has decades and decades of experience, and I'm going to guess he's going to say to your good questions, he's never seen it like this.
7: Andrew Sliman, That's where we are. Joined us now of Morgan Stanley Investment Management Portfolio Manager. I guess we should start there then, Andrew. Have you ever seen it like this before?
8: Yeah, I mean, uh, Tom said it right. My head is spinning. It's a, it's a tough environment, but it's all tough, right? It, the markets are never clear. The, the light never shines. You know, it's green light, all clear to invest. So it is a, yeah, it's definitely consumer consume, uh, you know, confusing. I think Lisa said it best, which is the consumer says remarkably resilient, but look financial conditions are tightening, and that's going to affect many businesses, and that's the push-pull is, which do you lean towards, a consumer or tightening financial conditions? That determines your, you know, really outlook for the economy. You had a number of lead-ins, people talking about a slowdown in the economy, except the S&P sits at 4,100. You know, that's incredible to me what's transpired since beginning of March.
4: You'd been bullish, though. So, are you getting more bearish now?
8: Well, you know, I've been bullish uh, since the beginning of the year only because we came off a bad last year pessimism, you know, I wrote a piece pessimism is rampant and uh, I think the market predicted a down earnings year uh, this year Uh, but, you know, the market's had a good first part of the year, we're moving into the summer, I could see a stall out but there's no question in my mind the earnings collapsing scenario that's going to retest the low, that scenario is running out of time because markets price in a recovery of earnings, which should happen next year, and it they will trade to a pretty high multiple on that recovery and then let the E work into that. That's historically right. what's happened. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get another leg up. Uh, in the second half of the year, I just think, you know, it's been a pretty good move and we just don't know this, you know, what's going all on in the next leg of this bank crisis.
2: Andrew Slimmon, I mean, you were in Pennsylvania studying with Larry Summers' father in economics a few years oh, ago, and I'm sure you went through the nifty 50 uh, and all that. If we got a nifty seven or a nifty 20 right now, do you run a portfolio less diversified?
8: scares the bejesus out of me tom i mean this is the tu- you know st- st- stocks you know asset prices are tricky you know you know there's an area of the market that's getting extreme relative to the rest of the market but it looks over the last couple days and days in- included it, it's going to get more extreme i know over time very very big companies have a hard and hard time growing Companies don't stay top five in the S and P forever because it gets tougher to grow. Governments begin to cause right. problems in getting approvals on acquisitions. Hello, you know those are all the seeds that bring down these top companies. But that's not that's not happening yet. So it's tricky. You need to own some exposure, but I think you got to look under the surface because the rest of the market has been left behind and they're pretty cheap.
2: So Charles Cantor was in the other day with Newberger Berman. Big love of big. T- And so, Apple, are you predicting, Andrew, that with the Apple somewhat exponential growth trends on the income statement, that the government will step in, say, in a Euro-esque way against big tech?
8: You're already starting to see it. You know, not anyway. You're already starting to see it, where they're they're questioning the dominance of these companies. But that doesn't mean these stocks can't do spectacularly well for the next quarter. This is a longer term issue. I just know that when you have such a a weighting of these large companies. And with the government starting to turn against them, uh, that's a bad uh, combination, but it doesn't necessarily yeah. mean uh, they'll they'll brought, be brought down. And I'm always mindful of, you know, look, let's look back. General Electric, AT&T, IBM, Exxon, Bethlehem Steel, you know, they all got to be the big dogs and, you know, some, something happened. And, uh, you know, I remember my dad saying to me a long time ago, why would I ever sell General Electric?
4: <laughs> Which uh, is a similar kind of statement day for uh-huh. the tech. Andrew, I'm curious, you mentioned the C word, crisis, in the banking sector. When does that become the driving factor once again in markets that seem to have one eye on it, but not all that closely all the time?
8: Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. So, you know, you had this crisis uh, early March. The market dropped to... You know, kind of $3,800, 3850 and then lo and behold, the economic data x the banking crisis wasn't so bad. The market runs to forty one hundred, and now we're having a uh, a second round. It's causing anxiety, but the flip side is it's coming during earnings season, and earnings aren't quite as bad as you point out, Lisa. Even not only mega cap, but some of the consumer stocks where expectations were pretty brought, you know brought down, they're surprising. So I just think we're in this range. I don't think we're going to break out out of it. I don't see a big retest of the low because, you know, everywhere I go, people ask me all the time, when's the, when's the retest coming? I got cash on the sidelines. I want to put to work. I want to put to work because I raised it last year. So I just think we're kind of, we'll continue to knock around this range. And now we're back to the crisis focus. So could we head down to, you know, kind of 3,900 again? I think it's very possible. I just don't see a breakout until later this year. I think the market, will end the year higher than 4,200. And we'll look back and say, boy, oh boy, yet another example of a year post a bad year uh, when expectations were so thoroughly washed out.
7: Do you remember the start of the year? Wasn't it first half dip and second half rip from the consensus? <laughs> it seems like for 2023. So, yeah. Boy, a oh
8: boy was that. And I questioned no that. I remember we were on it. I no one even that.
7: talks about that anymore. Do you remember that? It was like guest after guest. Yeah. Apart from Andrew, of course. And, and, then, others
4: and then and then it became the rip and then dip. And now it's the rip and the rip. That's a little light and a little lighter rip. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually.
7: there been some stealthy rallies out there, you know. And Andrew, thanks for yeah. being this, by the way. Andrew Absolutely. Slim and Morgan Stanley. Thank you, buddy. Looking forward to it. Bob Dollis as well. He joins us now. The CIO at Crossmark Global Investments. Bob, good morning to you. Howdy. Let's look at the numbers so far. Double-digit price increases at (coughs) Kimberly-Clark, Procter & Gamble, Coke, Pepsi, take your pick. Looking at the numbers from tech, cloud spending, still pretty decent. Microsoft, ad spending, pretty decent, Meta. What recession?
9: Great question. It's the most anticipated one we know in history. I'm disappointed that full-year estimates for the S&P 500 are not going up after all this good news. Maybe they've stopped taking the numbers down, um, but uh, they're not moving up. Estimates are still too high is what that points out. You give me more than I expect in the first quarter. I don't change my number. That means I'm taking something out of Q2, 3, and 4. The slowdown is still upon us. All those lead indicators pointing to slowdown slash mild recession. I don't see how we escape it. And you've covered adequately the systemic risk in the financial system. Um, handicapping that is very difficult. But I want to come back also, uh, John, to what you said earlier. McCarthy pulled a victory. Uh, that you know, Only losing four Republicans was pretty amazing. So now the burden is on the Democrats to come to the table and have a conversation. We'll see how that goes.
2: In our ute, there was a nifty 50. Now we've got the nifty five as well. Can I hide out in the Bob Doll caution in big tech?
9: Yeah, that's certainly a way to do it, but with the multiples where they are, not just for tech, but you mentioned the soft drink and the, the staples companies. you know, Coke and Pepsi, their multiples are in the mid-20s. Um, you know, I'm not sure that's a great deal. So the defensive areas, to include some of those tech names, have certainly had a bid and they're getting expensive. And overall, I look at my screen and I see the S&P 500 PE ratio, 20.5 on uh, trailing, almost 19 on forward, and the numbers are probably too high. If interest rates and inflation were, you know, two, that's probably a good valuation, but I really struggle with where we are. So I'm, I'm not bearish. We paid that price last year, but I am cautious.
4: All right. As we point to the future, you mentioned McCarthy. So let's go there. Let's sit on that for a minute. Does that deal that we saw in the House, even though it has basically no chance of making it and seeing the light of day, does that give you confidence that the U.S. can avoid a debt ceiling enough to price set out as a potential tail risk.
9: I think, Lisa, it, it definitely increases the probability we get something done. Had that failed yesterday, we're kind of nowhere. Neither party has anything on the table. Now the Republicans, uh, with an incredible victory, put it on the table. And the Democrats have to come back with some kind of conversation, which probably raises the probability we get something done in the 11th hour, the 12th hour, maybe the 13th hour.
7: You say they have to. See, no indication overnight that they will do. No, they... they now, It never happens until it has to happen.
9: Uh, We've seen that before. Um, I I don't think either party wants to be blamed for default or decline in the dollar because of a potential default. So
7: uh, all I'm saying is the onus is now on the Democrats to, to have a conversation. Is it your impression of things that you think that the Democrats in this White House are looking to see some market pressure build? to gain some leverage over Republicans. Is that what they're waiting for?
9: Very possible. Um, you know, a couple of folks in Congress have said that in the last 48 hours. You know, give us a smack in the face in the markets and maybe we'll come to the table sort
7: of thing. So that for could a market participant, probably, do you find that really frustrating? Yes, very much it drives so. me. It drives me absolutely <laughs> insane. Yeah, I'm with you, I'm with the you. The politicians are willing to let that happen. To involve financial yeah. markets and, and use that as a position yeah, of leverage. A little, it's a little toy, isn't it? <laughs> Tom, don't you find that ridiculous? And I know... I know we've yeah. been doing this for a long, long time, but I just find it so irresponsible that that's the direction of travel. And by the way, that's not a political statement. The it's politicians on both sides of the aisle yes. trying to right. play games with markets. And, and you
2: see in the First Republic, too, the key, I think it's an adverb, but maybe an adjective, I flunk grammar. Um, John, but the key word in every report on First Republic, which goes to the politics of a nation, is wealthy. The basic idea that everything to do with First Republic is wealthy clients, jumbo mortgages. We know the drill. But there's a huge politics in our day-to-day news grind in, in finance and also in how the stock market's
7: treated. FRC huge. trying to bounce up by 1.6%. Let's just finish there briefly, Bo. There is a fear. And we talked about some of the robust nature of the the numbers, the earnings. We can pick several indicators of that, tag, financials, whatever. Looking forward, leading indicators are terrible. You look at First Republic right now and there's a big debate at the moment, is that a First Republic problem or a broader banking issue that's going to lead to some kind of credit crunch? Where are you and the team on that now?
9: The systemic risks are always there. They're just a lot higher than usual right now. Remember, the Fed took rates from zero to four and three quarters percent in 12 months. There are consequences. It's not just, okay. Silicon Valley Bank is signature uh, and we get up and dust ourselves off and ride off into the sunset. There are more consequences. Might it be another financial institution or two? Could be. My view is it will include a mild recession. Hopefully it's only mild.
0: Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
1: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage.
2: Joining us, Gerard Cassidy, with decades of experience in practice and the quiet of a management and boardroom where there are tough decisions to make. He's with RBC Capital Markets. Gerard, I've never seen anything like this. The lack of communication of the management team at First Republic, the conference call, non-event, and even their communicating of dialogue with the government and other more solvent bankers. Are you surprised by their silence?
10: Tom, thank you for having me on the program. And I would say that um, obviously they're it's at a critical stage right now. Uh, they're being advised uh, by some very smart people. And I think it's a strategy that they've chosen. Um, it's hard. I was surprised, that, as you put it out, on their earnings call um, that it was a 15-minute call. Um, I think a better uh strategy matter Would it would have been just to release the earnings and not you know have that 15-minute call so um certainly talking to the public is not something that should be pursued and they're not doing that but Hopefully, they are talking to very high-level officials in the government at mm-hmm. the Federal Reserve to, to try to resolve this issue.
2: From the time of Bill Isaac, Robert McTear, and others on other bank failures that you lived and died with, Gerard Cassidy, just very simply here, have the rules changed where the government doesn't have a function here like we were trained in school?
10: Tom, I think they've evolved. Um, I think the government always has a function because it's a regulated industry. uh, The government, as we all know, guarantees deposits up to $250,000 per account. So there's always going to be government involvement because the government's guaranteeing those deposits. But it has evolved and changed over the years from even when Todd Conover was the OCC, uh, head of the OCC back in the early 80s.
4: So what's the challenge for the U.S. right now? If they bail out FRC in some capacity, even if it's just guaranteeing the potential losses on their loan portfolio to facilitate a sale to a private buyer, they will essentially be bailing out the banks that they had come to the table and deposit $30 billion with First Republic. If they don't, this bank collapses and prolongs the story of regional bank weakness. Which is worse?
10: It's, it's a really tough dilemma for them. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place: the the FDIC and the Federal Reserve, because as you pointed out, Lisa, you know either choice is not very favorable, uh, and so. It's, it's something that they have to weigh, which is going to have the least negative impact to the banking system and to the economy. And, and clearly, uh, you know shareholders and bondholders in these situations, like we've seen with Silicon Valley and Signature, they, of course, um, don't get bailed out at all. But it's the depositors, and it's the depositors over the insurance limit is where the focus is, and that's where the debate is at this time.
4: Gerard, on a larger uh, point here, we've seen this tug of war in markets, whether it's the tech giants that are reporting fantastic earnings and other uh, discretionary companies, or then on the other side, there's this overhang of potential weakness in regional banks that could continue. Is that enough to offset the strength elsewhere? In other words, is what you're seeing not enough to give you confidence that they're going to materially provide the credit and the impulse that this economy needs right now?
10: The Fed has been very clear that um, they're in monetary tightening Uh, since April of 2022. You know, deposits in the banking system are down almost a trillion dollars. You might remember during QE, during the pandemic, the Fed's balance sheet went from just under four trillion dollars to almost nine trillion by the first quarter of 2022, creating over three trillion of deposits in our estimate to the banking system, and now they're taking them out. So I think the stimulus or you know monetary policy to stimulate the economy right now, obviously is not there because they have to fight inflation. So inflation has to come down. Once that comes down, hopefully the Fed not only will stop raising short-term interest rates, but they could back off QT.
7: Joe, just a final question for me, maybe slightly unfair on First Republic, just to be really specific. Is there a real risk here they lose access to some of the Fed's funding vehicles?
10: There's a possibility of that. You never rule anything out. And so certainly in their public statements, they have indicated they still have access. They still have loans and securities to pledge. Uh, We have not heard anything official from the Federal Reserve saying that the window is closed to them. So from their public uh, documents, they still have access there. But it is limited because there's only a limited amount of loans and security that are remaining that can be pledged for that
7: type of uh, borrowing. Jared, from your perspective, what would lead regulators officials to close that access to them
10: it uh, what would lead it there is if they think the situation is so dire that it's best off to you know stop allowing them to have access to that uh, source of funding because it'll cause uh, less losses to either the FDIC or the Federal Reserve that would be potentially one of the reasons for them doing it
7: there's a feeling based on our reporting that maybe we're getting closer to that moment. Gerard, thank you for being with us, sir. Thank you. Gerard Cassidy of RBC Capital Markets on the financials at the moment.
2: Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app. Tune in and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.
1: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like